Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Jessie Thorne of the Jordan Jessie Go podcast, the other half of that team who we've had on previous uh, Tea with Alice podcasts. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Jessie. We talked about Burt Reynolds' masculinity and privacy for somebody who didn't want to talk about deep things. We ended up talking about quite a lot of really interesting things. So I hope uh, you email or uh, tweet Jesse to say that you enjoyed the episode because I certainly did. Um, I am in London at the moment in an Airbnb and we are launching this kind of video style of podcast. So let me know if you if you like it. Um, and if you don't like it, don't let me know. It, I don't need your, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> need it. I've put off. I've put off doing video content for an incredibly long time um, because I don't like dealing with um, awfulness online. I think. Uh, I mean that you sort of have to as a woman in the industry, but it's more that part. I feel partly responsible if people are awful at me for cultivating awfulness in them, for giving them the opportunity or the trigger. Or there's something about it that's like quite complicated in my head. So. Uh, that aside, I'm in London, I'm touring my show uh, Twist and a bunch of other sort of headline spots around the UK. I'll be in Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival if you want to look that up. It's alicefraser.com. My gigs page is surprisingly up to date. And uh, patreon.com slash alicefraser is where you want to go if you want to support this podcast. And I do my weekly writers meetings. If you'd like to write with me, I write my uh, I write with you and we do a workshop or uh, I also do weekly tea with Alice salons and I'm about to launch a weekly book club with no homework. So the premise is we show up and we read the thing or we watch the clip together and then we do the book club because for me uh, doing a book club is always just such an opportunity to feel like I'm not doing my homework as an adult. Uh, so that book club is about to launch. Uh, otherwise, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. You don't have to support this podcast in any way other than uh, listening to it. Even that is not compulsory. But if you like it, please share it around. And uh, of course, there's the Patreon, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. I'll let you get on with listening to Jesse Thorne. You're having tea with Alice. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm having a, I'm having a bottle, a nice bottle of sparkling water. You know, it's good. Here's a tip for you as from a longtime professional podcaster, Alice. Yes. Uh, it's good when you're recording, when you're on microphone, to drink something carbonated because then you'll have to burp at inopportune times. <laughs> <laughs> I my problem is not with burping, but occasionally, and not occasionally, I have a hiccup. Oh yeah. It's not that I have the hiccups. It's just like maybe eight times in a day I will hiccup once. As part of just a everyday lifestyle as, for you. As part of my life, this is the burden I bear. Is occasionally I hiccup, um, not often enough for it to be a real problem for my life. So I've never you know gone to a doctor or anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say, uh, let me say this, Alice. We uh, haven't known each other long, only about 60 or 80 seconds. But <laughs> I will say, irrespective of the hiccuping thing, I think you ought to go to a doctor, just in general. you got to give it a try. <laughs> never, never been, don't trust them. Go to, no, go to the... These folks know their, know their stuff. These yeah. folks are sharp as tacks. There is a dog down the road who has knowing eyes, and if I have any problem, I'll go and tell him. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's just substitute the wisdom of the ancients. That's yeah. good enough. He looks at he looks at me in a kind way, and then the problem usually goes away. Thank you for coming. And uh, sparkling water is a totally acceptable uh, drink to have. Everything is tea if you think about it long enough and in the wrong way. Uh, yeah. What have sure. you been wrestling with? Uh, well, look, I will say that I have been wrestling with the filmography of Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and I know that's probably come up with all the rest of your guests. It's like a very common thing to be dealing with. Um, look, there are no hack premises, just hack execution. So I'm willing to go well, with you on this. <laughs> well, get ready for the latter. <laughs> My co-host Jordan Morris on my comedy podcast, Jordan, Jesse, Go, and I um, have been making our show for, I mean, in its current form, something like 13 years or, I don't know, 14 years, something like that. And beyond, before that, another five or seven years uh, as college radio hosts and so on. And we have embarked upon what may be our first new project of that entire time working together, which is a limited run podcast exclusively composed of recaps of Burt Reynolds movies. Uh-huh. And I don't know. Do you have any feelings about Burt Reynolds? Did Burt Reynolds reach foreign shores? Burt Reynolds did reach foreign shores. I am not the person to ask about pop culture things, particularly in the 80s and 90s, because I was brought up um, without television very much. I, at a certain point in our childhood, we were allowed to watch one show a week. And I say we, meaning me and my twin brother, not the royal we. Did the two of you, okay, follow up to this. Did the each of you get to choose a show? No. Or no, you had to choose one together. We had to choose one together. As a to reach twin consensus. punishment. Wow! So it was like a it, it was like a, a truth and reconciliation situation. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to like Desmond Tutu the two of you by making yes. you agree on a single television program. We also had access to some movies in VHS form, which were, I think we had about, there were about 10 movies in the house. Some of which were things like, mum was studying Gaelic and there was a movie called, I Know Where I'm Going, in which there was some Gaelic spoken. Um, it was some heiress gets stuck on an island and then she's, she's there for her, um, um, a honeymoon, pre-honeymoon engagement party. I don't know. She's she's there with her fiance, but then she falls in love with a local uh, local man, and that was that was your, one. Was your mom studying Gaelic because she herself was Gaelic, or just an interest in uh, the cultures of the very white? <laughs> so my my mom studied ballads. Um, and Scottish and Irish ballads. Uh, she was doing her master's in that at the time, and she liked to read things in the original. So she also taught herself Russian and Chinese at various times. This sounds uh, like a family where you have to pick one television show with you yeah, and your sibling. Unfortunately. I went, <laughs> my, my stepmother is from Northern Ireland. She's from Belfast. And, you know, when you... And she's, I guess... 65-ish, something like that. So um, in the 70s, mostly, was, was when she was growing up. Um, she and her siblings 
and other Catholic kids would get sent to the northern part of the Republic of Ireland uh, in Donegal to study Irish language and folk arts because it was to reinforce their identity as as Irish people rather than subjects of the crown or whatever. And my stepmother is a very acerbic person who has nothing but uh, rude things to say about Irish stuff. Like the, I'm talking, I'm not talking about things in Ireland. I'm talking about Irish stuff. Does that make sense? Like step dancing. Look, yes, I understand. And there's also a very particular Americanized Irish culture that. Well, that she has raw contempt for. <laughs> no, nothing could ever upset my stepmother more than uh, like three tenors or whatever, or um, the man who step dances on public television. Uh, Michael um, Flatley is that the chap? Yes. Yes. I think if she, I think she might literally rip his throat out if she <laughs> saw him just for and certainly Irish American stuff without using her arms of course. Yeah, I, Irish American stuff like green beer and um you know corned beef and cabbage or whatever. She's not interested in those things either. But she often said like she she complained about like penny whistles and step dancing and learning Irish and stuff. I went with my wife to Ireland about five or seven years ago, and I was having a nice lunch with my Aunt Marion, who is my stepmother's older sister. And Marion said, Has has Barney told you that that she doesn't like that stuff? And I was like, yeah. And she said, she goes, she was the best at penny whistle in our whole family. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, <laughs> she won awards. <laughs> like, so I found I learned that my stepmother was secretly an Irish folk arts prodigy, wow. who was like, you know, had the ribbon shoes and every, and they didn't like have anything, you know, like they. My stepmother's father died when she was very, very young. So, um, you know, they didn't have indoor plumbing. Like yeah. they went to the bathroom in the backyard in the 70s yeah. um, in the city, in the center of a major city, major world city. Um, but yeah. So her loathing is personal. Yeah, exactly. There, there was another moment in that same trip where... Um, we went to see my uncle John and he, he wanted to meet us at this cafe. So we went to this cafe and we're at this cafe and we're waiting for John and having like a sprout sandwich, you know, and you know, like a, like a real classic, like avocados, sprouts and cucumber, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a real crunchy. And I like looking around this cafe and I'm like, man, there are more pictures of Yasser Arafat than you would expect to find <laughs> in an upscale cafe in this cafe. And uh, John sits down and he's like, food's pretty good then. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Sinn Féin's headquartered upstairs. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he like, he like brings us around. And he shows us, you know, it, 
were on the false church road, which was the center of, of, uh, Republican Belfast. And, you know, he shows us where they grew up, you know, little tiny house that I presume has a bathroom now. Um, you know, he's driving us around at one point. He says like, down there's where the orange men have their protests. Last year, they, they burnt an effigy, uh, a teenage Catholic boy who had cancer. And I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then he goes, suppose you'll be wanting to see a castle then. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, I mean, yeah, is that a, is that a choice? Like, is that one of the, yeah, we want to see a castle. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to see a castle? Who's like, no, no, I'm full. Trying to give him up. We park at the castle, and John goes, and John goes, 60, 65 years old. I'm fine here at the castle, but I can't go across the street because of the feckin' Protestants. War's not over. It's a lie. <laughs> We're like, holy shit. Well, let's go check out the castle then, if that's where it's, if it's best there at the castle, let's, uh. The castle's neutral ground. Let's go check out. That special kind of window that you shoot a crossbow out of. It's wider on the outside than on the inside. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't have thought of a castle as like politically neutral ground, but apparently... Yeah. I know, right? But it's sort of like a national park or... It's like, what, could you imagine the Civil War taking place at, at the Grand Canyon? No. I have no imaginative landscape based in America, I'm afraid. It's a very, okay, well. I don't have a strong sense of the um, political or apolitical significance of the Grand Canyon. I think the Union Boys and Johnny Reb would uh, put down their front loader muskets or whatever and just take some time to appreciate nature's grandeur. <laughs> and I think that Catholic or Protestant, uh, Republican or uh, Royalist, all can agree that it's really interesting how the windows are wider on the outside than on the inside because then you can aim the arrow around, but it's still a narrow spot to shoot into from the outside. I mean, yeah, who can't come together over that, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, Burt Reynolds. Yeah. So I've just been watching a lot of Burt Reynolds movies. I don't know. What do you feel about Burt Reynolds? Why why is this? Really? I mean... It's not. It's not that I want to have sex with him, because I don't. Like mm. fundamentally, to me, to me, boys are gross. Mm-hmm. But he has such, and like even if I, even if I did, sexually regard a screen star who was a dude, it would be like a pretty one. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like it would yeah. be like Timothée Chalamet or something yeah. like that. You know? Where they're sort of their beauty rises above, above any yeah. kind of gendered norms and into the realms of the angels that are carved onto churches who... Yeah. I think Burt Reynolds is not like that. And I don't even think that like... Like... If you said, like, who's, like, the coolest movie star who seems the coolest in a movie that you would, like, want to, like, talk to and hang out with their guy from a movie, 
even in a movie star way, not in a normal actual friend way. Maybe like George Clooney or something like that, I guess. You know, like I, I like that that vibe. Burt Reynolds is not like that at all. But so undeniably sexual and so like the the amazing thing about him as a performer. And I had like no experience with Burt Reynolds at all until I was a full-on adult. Like yeah. Burt Reynolds' career petered out in the mid-1980s when I was four years old. He was on CBS until, you know, like I, I had watched Boogie Nights and that was my total experience with Burt Reynolds. Um, but like he has this quality where he doesn't care that he's in a movie. <laughs> Not in the sense that he doesn't like he, it's not, it's not like an, I'm going to do what I want to do. Kind of, I don't care. I'm in a movie. It is as though, and it's not like a transparent sort of, I live within the world of the film completely. So I don't have to present artifice. Yes. Um, it is simply that he doesn't seem to care about anything, but not in a nihilist way, like in a fun friend way. <laughs> like that is like, like Burt Reynolds, just no matter what he's doing, seems like he's having a good time, but also could take it or leave it. So it's not got that neediness. One of the, one of the nice things about a friend is like, if you're if you're hanging out with them, but if something came up, they're not going to have a nervous breakdown if you yeah. have to go this, somewhere else because they're happy in themselves. Now, in real life, I want to be clear. Burt Reynolds was dangerously addicted to pills and alcohol uh, and destroying himself from the inside out. Yes. So the neediest and, of all, in fact. Yeah. And from the outside in because he started his career as a college football star, then became a stuntman. Oof. and. You know, many of his films were based on him doing the stunts that are in the movie. And so he was just destroying his body. That's how he got addicted to pills. Um, but yeah, he's got like, uh, he, he laughs at his own jokes. He laughs a lot at a lot of things that aren't jokes. Just <laughs>, laughs sort of like contemplatively. But he is extraordinarily compelling and like it doesn't matter that much if he's in a good movie or a bad movie like most of his like he's only in a couple of actual good movies yeah. like boogie nights is an actual good movie deliverance i haven't seen deliverance actually but deliverance i understand to be an actual good movie i would say like Smokey and the bandit is a like a pretty perfect not bad movie, but, you know, popcorn movie or whatever you want to say. Mm. But even calling that a good movie is a stretch by most definitions of good movie. But I do love it. Like, I would watch it anytime. One of my all-time faves. Um, but, yeah, he's like, it doesn't really matter. Like, Smokey and the Bandit is better than Smokey and the Bandit 2. Um, and that somehow is kind of beside the point. 
yeah, his quality <laughs> remains sort of uh, the same. I think it's a really interesting thing. I read an article not so long ago about the ways in which um, kind of modern filmic sexiness is completely unfuckable. Oh, interesting. That for, What's the, an example of this? The Marvel movies. Because I fucked example. most of the movie stars that are big right now. <laughs> the, 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 so the I, example I have that direct this, contrary evidence. In this article was the um, Marvel stars, where you have these kind of um, ab-stricken men and completely proportionately perfect women who are too perfect to leave room for desire. They sort of are so glossy that you can only admire them. They're not, not attainable in any way. Not that movie stars were ever attainable, but there's no chink into which you can hook your, your um, more visceral want for them. They don't look delicious. They look pretty. I mean, I don't even know if pretty. Like I, w- I would say that one of the things about them is that they're not beautiful. Like there's a kind of like, uh, there's a kind of like extraordinary distant beauty that something could have that is nonetheless shiny and all those other things. But like, yeah, they're, they're otherworldly. Um, but there's nothing horny about them, despite the giant muscles and giant boobs. Yes. Um, and I think there's nothing Chalamet about any of them. There's no mystery or, uh, excitement. I mean, like, uh, even like, uh, you know, Scarlett Johansson, who like on the scale, as a speaking as a speaking as a, a boy who likes girls, like 12 out of 10 on the like hot scale. You know what yeah. I mean? Where you're just like cold sweat, right? Yeah. Like I saw one of those that had her in it and it wasn't anything. Yeah. Even Even she, because they're in this weird liminal space between real things and not real things where the only thing that happens is people punch each other into walls and everything has that weird like computer shaded light on it yeah it's something to do with the quality of the light because i know one of my first crushes was captain planet who was a two-dimensional cartoon right. and i know many yeah. other uh, people of my generation for whom uh, captain planet or um prince he was Ali also was or... he also gray I believe he was, he was also blue. gray. Yeah, blue, he, he was thank blue you. and had green hair. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty horny for most of the Burger King kids club, so I, I get it. <laughs> wasn't, that's not real. But the point is that it's not, it, it, yeah, it's not even about reality or unreality. There's something specific about the way in which these bodies are presented. And they are presented. They're extremely tight outfits and they're really like enhancing the bodies and there's like there's so much about it. But there's no human something about it there's no way in it's the like I, i'm just i'm thinking of this as the complete antithesis of burt reynolds who yeah i think that is completely right that many of these like boxes and yet yeah i think burt reynolds no matter how you shoot him will all would always just like we watched a movie called malone which is from the like mid to late 80s like 86 or 87 or something mm. and it's a it's not much of a movie, although I have to say I did really enjoy it. Um, and like even at that late date, just Burt Reynolds kind of lends that, uh, you know, 
great American film era of the 1970s uh, camera stock feeling to any screen he is on. <laughs> like he is always seems like he is bathed in a slightly amber light. Um, and like, you're like, wait, he's not wearing a shearling coat. I could have sworn, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he seems to be the, the famous like playgirl picture of him is him on like a bearskin rug. Yes. And like, it always has no image of him lacks that tactile quality. Um, and no, you know, no color scheme that you can put him in, even in a relatively cold looking movie, which Malone is a relatively cold looking movie. It's pretty blue. Um, but it's still like, he just exudes warm browns. You know what I mean? He's Yeah, he's a sepia guy. Whereas I feel like all those superhero movies, the Marvel movies, especially like at some point they just decided that the way they would deal with the question of how a person could look like a cartoon character is that they would just turn all the surfaces into this weird semi leather. Yes. It's sort of, it's not quite, um, it's like a, it's clearly a pleather. Or like a technical pleather. It's not leather. It hasn't got that organic quality to it, but it's not uh, latex, which would be its own version of sexy. It's not spandex, which has its own version of kind of fleshiness. Spandex really feels, you know, you you can feel the warmth through spandex of human touch. But there's something about, it's kind of like a, a, a... with also also this kind of military propaganda in the technical fabrics so much of those movies is funded by the american military um that there's something about weaponry about the the grain of the fabric that they're dressed in i know exactly what you mean yeah and I, i would say that like something interesting to me about that aesthetic situation is I would say that like one of the most vividly realized and consistently great things about Star Wars as a world slash aesthetic language slash whatever is that Star Wars, which I mean, 1977 is the first one. So, but like the tail end of American independent cinema of the 1970s. Right. But, um, but like it has all of the places seem like places and space doesn't look like a, like a big shiny thing with no characteristics Um, as incredible as like, you know, 2001 and 2001 derived aesthetics are. And as much as the, you know, some of the Imperial spaces are, have that quality to them. Like the main thing is you're like, Oh, look at all these different kinds of space alien. They all kind of look like a kind of space alien that seems like a guy that could be walking down your street in a weird way. Yes. And like, I think that one of the things that the newer Star Wars movies rediscovered was the appeal of that relative to the you know, the Star Wars prequels are pretty shiny and computery because George Lucas was just into the computers he was into. Yeah. 
I think people sort of don't, don't remember or don't think about what they like about Star Wars or yeah. what George, and I don't think even George Lucas recognised, particularly when doing the prequels, I don't think he recognised the thing that he was best at, which is creating very quickly these vignettes that give the impression of depth. Yeah. As a director, that, that, that you you go, oh, this band is playing together in in the cantina yeah. and they look like they've been playing together forever and they're they've got all they're all different races and you can sort of imagine that they've been a jazz band that's been playing forever and you can imagine that they play weddings and bar mitzvahs and <laughs> yeah. whatever alien jabber the hut For, kind of thing first of all is. look i i hate to correct you here it's called jizz in the star wars universe that <laughs> type of music they play is literally called jizz sorry i i i apologize that's pretty much the only star wars fact i know for obvious reasons even in the prequels, when they when they uh, execute order, whatever it is, um, and the Clone Wars begin, you're going you're going through these different worlds where there are Jedi who are existing, being sabotaged. Spoiler alert: um, being assassinated by their their uh, people they trust, and so on and so forth. But in each of those moments, you're like, oh, that's a whole world, yeah. and that was the like the only thing good about that movie. And so for that reason, I think. It is possible, to, even though the Star Wars universe is like almost completely devoid of explicit horniness, mm. like not just, I don't just mean explicit, meaning like dongs out, but I mean like there's like characters barely kiss yes. or hold hands, you know what yes. I mean? However, it feels like people enough I guess I'm saying, I don't mean to be vulgar here, but Please. I'm going to, it feels real enough you could crank off to it if you needed to. <laughs> well, and speaking of sort of coming of ages, that scene with Princess Leia on the leash in, in, in Jabba the Hutt's um, yeah. ple pleasure uh, ship, that is the coming of age of so many people's sexuality. Yeah, to the nobody's... point where, you know... There's a costumes that are sold to people as a kind yeah. of a treat. Nobody's realer or more flawed than Carrie Fisher. You know what I mean? That was her raison d'etre in the world was like, check me out. I'm fucking real and flawed. You know what I mean? Yeah. What made her so, so cool? had that, whatever it is, that, that kind of tactile quality that makes you feel engaged with their process and yeah. that, that, you you so the the male the, i have a friend who is a, a contact juggler which is that kind of juggling that you do with with balls on your fingers and everything he used okay, to do this it is at, getting um, really braggy but i'm gonna let you keep going uh, and uh he used to do it at like fairs and and markets and things like that and he said he was constantly approached by women who wanted him to dress up as david bowie in the labyrinth <laughs> at their hen's night and uh, come and do contact juggling because that was the the equivalent of Princess Leia for that era of Yeah, youth. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's cliched to say that one was uh, horny for Robin Hood or Maid Marian in the Disney Robin Hood and Maid Marian, but I think it is a similar principle. Yeah, it's a similar principle, which is that whatever, whatever Burt Reynolds has, yeah. the fox in Robin Hood has. Do you want to hear a letter from 
uh, Burt Reynolds' best-selling paperback book, Hotline, The Letters I Get and Write? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm just picking one out. I, I didn't plan this ahead of time. It just is sitting on my desk. Um, dear Bert, I'd like to take a few minutes of your time. Actually, I'd like to take a few nights of your time. I don't know whether you realize the stir you caused, but damn it, you just reeked of sex. I was rather disappointed that you had to rush off after the play and you didn't have the pleasure of meeting me. I did look forward to at least a handshake and have been dreaming for months of a lot more. When you're back in Ohio, I'd like to make it worth your while to look me up. I can always feed you and give you liquid refreshment. Or I might take you on a nice ride somewhere. Or we could even work out at the gym. Signed, Delicious Diane in Dayton. Oh that one really takes a turn at the end with the workout at the gym thing. Yes. I mean, I, I imagine each of those are sort of the um, setting for various fantasies that she has. Uh, that then sort of go off in, in, in direction. I mean, that is the, I mean, that is the original uh, Celebrities Reading Thirst tweets, publishing a book of horny fan mail that you've received. I am married, have three children, ages 16, 15, and two. I'm 34 and married to a six-foot-two-inch hunk of hung man. How about a four-by-eight nude photo of you so I could put it on the wall at the foot of our bed? What? <laughs> You are all man and handsome. You are sexy, delicious. In other words, you have got it, and I mean all of it. If you do another nude pose, would you please move your hand away? After all, you were hiding the best part. Then, instead of hanging you up in the garage, all the women will lay you under the pillow. Signed, Tilly M. in the Bronx. Wow. I respect that. I respect just putting it right out there. I to mean, an absolute stranger at that. I think the thing that is distinctive about the sexuality of Burt Reynolds is having watched movies starting from when he was in his like mid-20s to, you know, 55 or whatever. He's just 47 in all of them. <laughs> just 100 straight through, he's 47 the entire time. And it's like a combination of hard living, fake hair, uh you know, and the mustache, I think. And yeah, just and body attitude hair. Just, as well. That kind of yeah. uh, lived-in attitude. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think, like, the thing that... Uh, the thing that makes you like him as a screen star is that he seems so completely self-possessed just doing his thing and, like, also, like, he's not judging you or whatever. Not being a dick about it. So I think the analogy here, if we're making this comparison between, say, your Marvel movie uh, stars and your Burt Reynolds stars, is it's the, it's the difference between going into a house that he's clearly lived in and just invites you to sit on the couch and make yourself at home and the house itself, the space itself, just says, come, come in, relax, and then going into one of those like, chrome, beautiful... Uh, 
hotel rooms where you're sort of not sure what you should sit on or where you should and where the the coffee thing is hiding behind some sort of panel and you just there's nothing about it that is inviting even though objectively it looks far more expensive it just doesn't look lived in the characters in those movies the moment they go off screen you can't imagine their life carrying on they don't exist outside of the space of the screen and and that makes the whole kind of experience unconvincing if if what a movie is meant to do is to transport you into a world you're meant to assume that when you stop looking at something it continues to exist there's something great just about the idea that like this guy is so comfortable and happy being here but also doesn't need anything from you but is inviting you to participate so like the idea that Burt Reynolds it happens to be there on the screen, Burt Reynoldsing, but like he's not asking anything of you, but you can be there with him. And also, he doesn't, he's not just not asking anything of you. He doesn't, he truly doesn't need anything of you. He could also be happy over there if you need him to, outside of the boundary of the screen, just doing his thing. It's fine. I would say, like, there's a little bit of this quality in Matthew McConaughey. A little bit. Um, I think that Matthew McConaughey is a little weirder, more self, more apparently self-regarding, and like a little less chill. Yes, Even though being chill is his whole deal. He's conscious of his, his, his performance as a performance. He's sort of presenting himself and he's kind of yeah. knows that he is something worth presenting. Yeah. yeah. But there is that quality of like, hey man, here I am. Yeah. And it's, it is one of the things that comes down to like interpersonal relationships where you hear this complaint of like not, people who think of themselves as nice guys being thrown yeah. over for assholes. Yeah. And, and that, I think, is less true than many people believe, but it is a little bit true. And part of that is that there is nothing more upsetting than being um, pursued by someone who can't live without you. I know right. it's meant to be romantic, but it's very stressful. It's extremely yeah. <laughs> upsetting to have somebody go, oh, would you like to come on a date with me? And in their eyes... <laughs> is this fear that if you reject them, they will be, be destroyed. <laughs> there, there is nothing appealing about that. Alice, 100% I'm taking you at your word on all of this. I just want to be clear. This is not an experience I have had. <laughs> it's not one I can relate to directly, but... Yes, I believe that were someone to approach me with that look in their eye. There is something very different. <laughs> being wanted is an, an, is an attractive quality. Being um, needed, particularly by somebody who doesn't actually know you, is a terrifying quality. Um, because it, it demands so much of you that you know for a fact you're not the person they think you are but they need the person they think you are and you can't be that person. So you can't, you can't say yes to them, but if you say no to them, then they're going to be destroyed. And, and that's way more upsetting 
than someone who's like, take it or leave it, babe. Um, who may objectively be less quote unquote nice <laughs> that you can come into yeah. their life and leave and, and they won't be ruined by you. Particularly if they are, as Burt Reynolds gives the impression of being sincerely glad to have you there. And that's like, the next level, right? That's the thing. Yeah. It's not that he's like, it, it's not that he's like negging you. No. And like, it's that he's, yeah, come on. Let's, uh, yeah, sure. Let's, uh, you know, yeah, sounds great. Ha ha ha, he says. Yeah, and we, we, we and would be delightful. Let's cool get pancakes. With his hat. Yes, why not pancakes? And yeah. then you go, actually, I'm not in the mood for pancakes. And he goes, no worries. Let's go to the beach. Like, yeah. whereas, yeah, I think it's a it's an incredible quality and it requires a sincere, um, a sincerely relaxed kind of attitude to the world. Yeah, and as an, a smug, uptight tryhard, um, it's something I admire. <laughs> well, I think it comes down to, like, not to do therapy speak, but like the attitude of abundance versus the attitude of scarcity. Mm -hmm. Like it's one. This is possibly macroeconomic speak, but go ahead. Well, I, I find that particularly as a woman in comedy, you have two very clear attitudes that prevail. One is there's not enough jobs for us. So I'm going to elbow you out of the way in order to get what I want, which is a job. Or you have the people, uh, Tiff Stevenson, a friend of mine in the UK, is one of these people who will say, there's plenty of room, there's plenty of space. We can make as much space as we want. There are so few women in this industry compared to men that until we get to 50%, scarcity isn't even an issue. And that is such a, a more welcoming and kind and generous attitude. And I find it, if I consciously try to have that attitude towards almost everything, it makes life better. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I could share with you some of my experiences as a straight white male in comedy adjacent fields, but I but I know exactly what you mean. Like, I think um, there are instances where this can be intellectually frustrating because I think that people who are secure in their position sometimes it is because of their advantage. Yes. Um, and uh, so you can say, like, well, gosh, you know, maybe George W. Bush seems so chill and like he's a guy you'd want to have a beer with because he is supported by a rich, tight-knit family and had every advantage in the history of the world. Um, and that can be challenging. But on the other hand, you're like, I would rather hang with a chill dude. But yeah, I think, I think that's possible. But there are plenty of wealthy people who are tight and yeah. jealous and bitter. And it doesn't seem to have anything to do with material resources, actually. It, it, it seems to have to do with a feeling of comfort in... in something charm is its own thing i think charm is an amoral quality a very appealing quality but amoral no it's neither good nor bad trending slightly towards immoral because you can get away with stuff that other people can't get away with 
And so if you can, you probably will. So I think charming people are just slightly more likely to be evil <laughs> or to get away with doing wrong things. Um, but in itself, I don't think it has any moral valency, but what it is is either appealing or not appealing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm very proud to have overcome my own needy charmlessness in my career as a public figure. Like, I think that was something that, you know, I think that was an achievement. I think as somebody who had my own needy charmlessness, I think it is the greatest achievement of my yeah. life. Yeah. Congratulations to us. Um, where can people find you online and where can they support your work uh, and your constant pursuit of, of ease and charm? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an eternal pursuit, trust me. Um, well, uh, there's... I'm a professional podcaster. Um, there are three valences I can offer here. Um, I do a show called Jordan, Jesse go with Jordan. That's where we did the Burt Reynolds recap show. Um, that show is just really stupid, really only silliness and, um, only, it is almost obscenely abstract in its silliness. Like um, It is delightful, and I recommend it for you. a long walk. It's a good podcast to listen to on a long walk. I'm very proud of those qualities. Like I, I, I like it. I listen to it once in a while. And then I do an arts and culture interview show for NPR that's distributed by NPR here in the States um, that's called Bullseye. And, you know, you can just go and, and take a look and see if there's somebody that you – are interested in or admire that I have interviewed. Um, Carrie Fisher is one. Carrie Fisher was on the show before she passed. She was amazing. Uh, Ryan Johnson, who's directed some Star Wars is. Um, uh, he's been on the show a few times. Um, but, you know, also whatever. Prodigy from Mob Deep or Pedro Almodovar. Um, there's probably someone there, somewhere, someone there that you like. Werner Herzog. Um... And then kind of in between those two, uh, I do a show called Judge John Hodgman with a comic and writer named John Hodgman where he is the judge and I am the bailiff in a court of petty personal disputes, um, <laughs> often between people who really love each other, um, partner, romantic partners and family partners and housemates and best friends. And the disputes are very real, but they're not scary. But uh, John, and it's a comedy show, but John takes the feelings involved in them very seriously and sincerely. And it's like, uh, uh, I find it when I listen to it, or sometimes when I'm listening to John in the studio, because I'm, you know, I'm substantially the kind of the announcer, but... Um, I find it genuinely moving sometimes. And like, that's the one where like, you know, people who listen to Jordan, Jesse go and come up and say like, you were the welcome distraction when something horrible was happening. People who, who listen to Bullseye come up and say like, oh, I, I learned something I never thought I would ask, think to ask or, you know, something. And with Judge Sean Hodgman, people say like, I learned something about how to be a better person. Again, this is John's doing, not mine, but like, I learned how to, and then also, you know, if you need to know whether a hot dog is a sandwich or not, he'll, he'll also 
settle that. It's not a sandwich. The reason is that if you sent someone to get you a sandwich and they brought back a hot dog, you would be mad. That's true. That's very true. I, I, that, that's such a, a long-lived long argument. Um, and I have not thought of such a simple answer. So thank you for bringing that to me here on Tea with Alice. Thank you for having tea with me. And I hope you come on again at some point because I think this is a really interesting conversation. Well, I'm very grateful to have been invited. And next time I will pick a, a topic of emotional import uh, that also is not of crushing emotional import. That is not compulsory. Oh, do you know her or do you not? This stuff is mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lousy rifles all around.